Welcome to the Find Your Awesome Podcast. My name is Kelsey Abbott and I'm your host. I'm a transformational leader and an instigator of joy who uses human design, intuition, coaching skills, and mindfulness to help light leaders amplify their light and spread love and light all over the world with a whole bunch of ease. Today, Caitlin Gehring is back, and I am so excited to share this conversation with you. If you haven't listened to my earlier conversation with Caitlin, go back and listen. She is an astrology genius, otherwise known as an astrologer. And today, we actually don't talk about astrology that much. We talk about getting grounded and why that is so important, especially as so many people right now are talking about the ascension, ascending into 5D. Under, we got to understand why it is so important to get grounded and how to do that. We talk about the the doshas from Ayurvedic medicine and how to eat to support your dosha. We talk about the importance of rituals in all of our lives. And then we take a little detour to play, play, to discover, to explore. I don't know the right word to talk about the Enneagram. Turns out Caitlin and I are both the same type. So listen up to learn what that is. I hope you enjoy this conversation. I hope you remember that you are a miracle. I hope you remember that you can learn everything you need to know about me at kelseyabbott.com and you can book a private session with me. You can book a human design reading with me and you can just play around on my website. You can get a core class. You can get a human design masterclass around and you will find what you want. And if you haven't already subscribed to my email list, get your booty on there. Just go to KelseyAbbott.com. And if you haven't gotten your human design chart, by all means, please get that for from me for free. That'll get you on the email list. If you already have your chart, just sign up to get your love note about your human design energy type. And that is whether you're a generator, a manifester, a manifesting generator, a projector, or a reflector. I love all of you, all for your total uniqueness. All right, that's it. Kelsey out. Enjoy this episode and go forth and be awesome. Caitlin, welcome back. Thank you so much for having me again. I'm so excited to do this with you. I just love hanging out with you. Oh, same. You know, that's how I started the podcast was I was having all these amazing conversations with people and that every time I'd finish and be like, we should have recorded that. So here we go. Having that's an amazing conversation stuff. and recording. Yes. I love it. That's when you know it's good. And that's when you know you like really are vibing on a certain level with somebody too, where you're like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. there was meat here. We got to share. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the type of conversation that I like to share, like a real conversation between two beings and then yeah. people get to eavesdrop on it. That's like the best part about podcasts is like when you pop your headphones in and you feel like a third party, like friend hanging out with the podcast host, even though you're like, I don't know, steam cleaning your floors or like doing your dishes or something. Yeah. And then you feel like, you know, the podcast host and, <laughs> and the interviewee and you're like, oh wait, that's right. We're not best friends. Shoot. She doesn't actually know who I am. Absolutely. Well, that's what I felt about you when I first heard you on a podcast. And then I signed up for your email list, like right away. And I was like, I feel like I'm her friend already. But you were. (laughs) Because I don't know if we told this story in the first, um, the first time you were on the podcast, but I don't think we did. As soon as your information came through, I was like, who is this being? 
And I think I told, I sent you like pretty much what I send everyone when I send their charts. Um, like I told you, you were a three, five reflector and I told you about one of your superpowers mm-hmm. and then you wrote back and I was like, yes, because <laughs> I can't write by the way that your energy feels really good. Will you be my friend? It's too bad we can't though, right? Because how much easier would it be if we could just be straight up like that? But I feel it. I remember being like so excited that you wrote me back. I was like, yes, yes, let's be friends. Let's talk. (laughs) You know, apparently my, I don't remember this, but my very first friend, she was, we were both at the pool. I think we were two Mm -hmm. and she was dumping buckets of water over her head. And then she came over and she dumped a bucket over my head and said, will you be my friend? And I said, yes, (laughs) it amuses me on so many levels because as an adult, if somebody came and dumped a buck of water over my head and asked me to be be their friend, I'd be like, well, I need to think about this. (laughs) You're like, I'm I'm pretty sure sure some things have already happened that inclined me to say no. Yeah, exactly. Boundaries. Yeah. I I don't like, but that's, that's total kid logic though. You're like, yes, you're fun. Let's enjoy ourselves. Pour more water on me. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. How does this into grounding? I don't know if I can make that segue. (laughs) That's an interesting transition. (laughs) I mean, kids are very much in their bodies. I don't know. That's true. And I feel like for me, a lot of um, a lot of the times I've spent consciously practicing grounding as an adult, fully formed human have brought me back to a lot of things I just subconsciously did as a kid because it felt really good. Um, and also probably because like I, I grew up in like the tail end of the time where we barely had computer rooms or like there was maybe a computer room as you're like getting older and going over to your parents, friends, houses and stuff. So you just had more time outside and more ability to do that. But like, I would just spend hours literally lying in the grass and staring at the clouds. And like, I would just think about how my life was so specific because I was in a certain area. And I would be like thinking about kids growing up and I don't know, like Turkey and like how different their lives were than mine, even though we were both probably staring up the same sky right now. Like I would just lie there and ground and like have weird thoughts like that as a child. And it's just been interesting because it was stuff that I didn't even consciously remember very much until I came back to these practices when I was older and was like, wow, this is just something that I naturally did. And I have a feeling that that is much more of a common occurrence for people. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like my life changed the minute someone said you need to wear shoes. Yeah. And thankfully I've since rejected them. Again. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> But yeah, I spent all my time outside as a kid playing in the woods. My my parents lived in the woods. I was ha- had my rock. I had like I'd go play in the brook. I was up and down the hill in the trees all day, every day. As it should be for a kid. That's mm-hmm. beautiful. Did you like make different things with stuff that you found out in nature and stuff? Like I was always making like weird potions and stuff like that with like leaves and berries that I found. Yeah, I was um I want to say I whittled or I thought I whittled because I'm not even sure if I had a knife. <laughs> You're like actually just whittling with another stick or a rock. Or yeah, probably. <laughs> but I was building forts and talking to my imaginary friends. Yeah. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. 
That's the best. And not much has changed. <laughs> Except I don't live in the woods anymore. That's, that's coming. We're moving back to the woods. Mm-hmm. Okay, somewhere. Exciting. Somewhere. I still don't know where. <laughs> it's okay. It's coming. Yeah. It's not Charlotte. It's not on my Saturn line. It's definitely know. not on your Saturn line. <laughs> no. Okay. So what is grounding? Why, no, why are you excited about grounding right now? Mm, that's a good question. Um, I don't know that I'm just excited about it. Well, I'm excited about it right now, like literally today, because I woke up thinking about this and just felt like it was what I wanted to talk about and do today and share today. I'm also really grateful that, uh, my life accommodates that. Like I can wake up and be like, wow, this is the thing that's on my heart. I guess I'm going to just spend my time creating around this today. Um, But it's just one of the things that I'm most passionate about in my own practice and also in my support of clients, especially my Reiki clients, because, oh, I mean, wow, there's so much to this. I feel so passionate about our connection to nature and who we are as natural human beings that are made of the earth. And I think that Western society has so completely disconnected us for that. And I think that that's been primarily on purpose in large part. Um, But also like just within the spiritual space, there's so much focus on the crown, the third eye, opening your third eye, awakening your kundalini, um, ascension. And there's not as much focus, at least in the collective around grounding and taking care of our root chakra and coming back to our base foundation. And that's so essential to any kind of genuine, um, energy work that we're going to be doing any kind of genuine healing or, quote unquote ascension, like to be able to lean into your higher chakras and like connect to that energy, we have to first be grounded and have a stable foundation. Um, I mean, you hear about people like taking a psychedelic and literally losing their mind or like doing breath work and like having a full panic attack afterwards. And this is happening because people are not grounded and they do not have that solid foundation literally in their body, but also a connection to the actual earth in order to support them. And, uh, I feel like I'm going in a million different directions right now, but I also think a lot about how we have two channels of energy in our body. We have one that's coming from above through the crown into our bodies. And then we have one that's coming from below up our feet, up the chakras on our feet. We actually have so many chakras at the bottom of our feet. They're such sensitive spaces all the way up our bodies. So we have these two lines of energy. And if we're only focused on one of them, we're going to be really out of balance. And there's so much support and stability um, that comes from the earth and the earth's energy and this pole of energy that we all experience um, coming up from our feet and moving upwards in our bodies. And grounding is like such an essential practice just to maintain this and to connect back to our bodies and to maintain our um elevation and like to maintain all of the things around our energy and having a healthy energy space. I feel this on so many levels. I've noticed, excuse me, there's a growing conversation about, it's like people are waking up to, oh, connect with nature. And, you know, I come from a biology background. I need nature every single day. I talk to all the animals I meet 
I mean, I think it's really rude and weird not to, and I don't understand why people wouldn't. Um, I remember hearing somebody be gobsmacked. I don't think I've ever used that word before, but <laughs> she was gobsmacked, but it, it was satisfying. So I'm going to use it again. <laughs> but the idea of like when she leaves her house, like noting that she's walking into all the animals' houses, she's walking into the wildlife space. So greeting them. As she that. leaves her own house. Yeah. And then I think of all the articles about like, there is a, I think it's called like the depavement movement, or maybe it doesn't officially have a name, but because so much of our land is paved right now, oh, we got trouble. Like, first of all, people can't root into the earth and then flooding, like where's the water supposed to go? Where's the runoff supposed to go? We've tried so hard to um, change the earth into something that it's not so that it's easier for us to manage or to deal with, or even to not even come in contact with in our day-to-day lives. And that's so sad to me. It's so depressing. And I mean, even though you can be in like a city space and still be able to ground and like connect to nature. And when I lived in the middle of a city, I would like take a two hour walk every day and like literally touch almost every tree I walked by and like take a break and sit in the grass in front of an apartment complex because I just needed to touch the earth. And if I was just living my normal life, I realized I was never doing that because there is no access to that otherwise, unless you're intentionally seeking that out or going to sit in the grass or literally leaving to go be in nature. Yeah. I resonate with that. Usually my brief foray into city living was much the same. Like me just like veering off the sidewalk to just step in the grass for a second, just to touch the trees, to find, Oh, look, it looks like nature here. Let me get Mm -hmm. in this. Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. Exactly. I notice a big difference in my breathing, like when I'm able to be around nature, even just to see it. And I notice it at a subconscious level. Like I can tell when I'm feeling a greater, um, like expansiveness, when I come into a space that has more nature, nature available to me or around me, like I literally feel like I can just take a deeper breath. I feel like I can hold more things. And this idea of how much you can hold within your energy and how much you can carry within your energy, I think is so connected to how grounded you are and how, um, tapped into your root chakra you are. And it also, I mean, it's pretty basic, right? Like this connects back to, I think about like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You have to have a stable foundation of things like food and shelter and the ability to rest in order to, um, not just be living out of survival and direct that center of consciousness elsewhere in your life and be able to direct that energy elsewhere in your life. And so if we're not doing that in our own bodies, we are pretty much creating a constant state of either chaos or stress or, um, our survival fight or flight system being activated because, our bodies and our energies are constantly trying to find something stable to hold on to um, in a world that is not stable and in a life that is not stable. The only thing that we have here that is, is the earth. And truly that's the only thing we need to have stable underneath us to give us that foundation. Mm. Yes. I have nothing more to say than yes. I'm wondering like what happens when somebody isn't grounded and they get up into their crown reaching for like the third eye energy the crown energy what I feel like that's it feels to me like 
I, I kind of, I picture like a, a toy that you can kind of separate the limbs on. I don't know, maybe like a marionette. Okay. And mm-hmm. it, I feel like it would create some separation within the, within the body. I, I think that's actually a really great image of what's happening there. Um, I'll speak from my own experience because this was me at the very beginning of my journey. And I didn't know that there was like grounding that needed to be done. I just, I was like, 20 years old and had started meditating in the last few months, was doing it like every day. Um, really loved how it made me feel, felt like so clear afterwards. And I started just doing different guided meditations. I started doing different like breath work guided meditations, but I was doing all of this like on my own in my room, didn't have someone to talk to about it. Didn't have someone guiding me through this process at all. And I remember having this, like being really deep in a meditation and I was not at all grounded. First of all, it just is something that is pretty much constantly activating your nervous system when you're not grounded. So, which means that you literally don't have as much blood flow to your prefrontal cortex. So like you don't have as much ability to just be present and be conscious in the everyday decisions that you're making when your nervous system is so activated. And that's something that's so common for people who are really ungrounded, but I had like such an insane experience that absolutely terrified me. I felt so much energy moving through my body, but only like upwards and only in that space. It gave me so much anxiety. I remember just like basically having a panic attack, lying on my bed, breathing so heavily, trying to catch my breath, feeling my energy, like literally leaving my body and not knowing what to do about it. I just completely freaked out. I stopped and then I stopped meditating for like three months because I was terrified of it. I was like, I don't know what's happening to me. Like, I don't think this is what should be happening. And I had heard about Kundalini awakenings and things, but I was like, this is terrifying. Like, this does not feel good. This does not feel like an energy that's natural to be running like this in my body. Like I felt that there was something really missing and I really had to take like 10 steps back and reevaluate, okay, what's actually happening here? What am I tapping into? And like, what does my energy need? This was around the same time that I started getting really into the chakra system and understanding um, this for myself. I was also just about to start a life coaching program where like we focus so heavily on energetics and all of these pieces. So um, I ended up having like the right mentorship to point me in the direction that I needed to go to recognize that all of these things were root chakra issues that I needed to first go down and to ground and to really care for that foundation of my energy before I could even start thinking about bringing it up again. And um, that's what I did. And I feel like that took me a few years. Like it was probably like a solid two and a half to three years that I was focusing mostly on just grounding and like bringing my energy down and attempting to um, figure out and work through what it was that was in my root that was like being stored there that was being blocked that was preventing me from like fully getting access to that and we can talk about that if you want to there are so many things that went into that for me for sure but um, it's a process you know and then from there it's a natural flow that your body wants to be a channel to facilitate, but you also have to be like the inquisitive, curious human about yourself to be able to even just connect to like, okay, but what is it that I actually need right now? How can I take care of my needs and trust that when I do that, the other pieces will come. It's not about activating my Kundalini. It's not about like ascending or like tapping into my crown to receive visions or whatever, like 
all of the other things will come just by you being grounded and actually caring for your energy. And that is the most important thing to focus on. I I'm just thinking about how many people are walking around this planet right now ungrounded, whether they're Mm -hmm. like really getting up into like trying to channel, um, excuse me, trying to do it from a meditation aspect or if they're just totally living in their heads, like in an academic space or, or whatnot. Totally. Or like in an anxious space too. Right. Like I think about how rampant anxiety is in our society. And I mean, I'm a part of that. Like I absolutely have anxiety and Mm -hmm. it's something that I've worked through my entire life. Um, yeah, it is deeply sad when you recognize that that is primarily a result of our disconnection from nature. And if you literally look up the definition of nature or the definition of humans, it literally separates us from nature in its definition. Like if you Google the definition right now, it does not say that we are a part of the natural world. And that's just kind of the framework that Western society moves off of. It's like, we're above it in some way. We're disconnected from it in some way. Um, it's like the people who don't think to say hello to the animals. <laughs> I love that example because it's like, yeah, why would you, why would you not say hi? I've like walked by my dog and I'm like, excuse me. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously. I'm like, that's a being that exists in this space that I get to interact with. I'm not, I'm not really different from that. I'm not above that in any way. Right. Um, right. Right. I can't, it baffles me the disconnection, like believing that humans are disconnected or like separate from nature, separate from the other animals. We're animals. We're the funny looking ones. We literally came from this earth, like from dust, we come and to dust, we will return. And that's how it is supposed to be. And, you know, I also think about how everything in nature is regenerative Everything in nature is fully abundant and exists within a cycle that feeds itself. And like when we, when humans die and they're placed in the earth, a body decomposes and mycelium grow off of it. And it brings greater life to the planet. This dead being does when animals die in the forest, this is what happens. It helps regenerate the earth itself this is a totally different topic, but we're also so disconnected from that within like death and dying, like the embalmment process. And we put people in these coffins that like, will never decompose because what we're trying to prove we're better than that. We're trying to prove we don't like, we shouldn't decompose or that's something that is faulty within humanity, but that's actually the most natural thing and process. And it's something that's necessary too. our bodies have to die and regenerate. Yeah. I mean, just taking this tangent and going a little farther, I think it's only legal in like two States, maybe even one to compost yourself after, well, you wouldn't compost yourself, but have your body composted after you die. And that's so wild to me. I found out this last week that embalming started because during the civil war, um, there were so many, of course, bodies and wreckage from the war, and they needed to preserve the bodies to bring them back home so that the families could 
um, bury them and participate in like any kind of death ceremonies that they wanted to. And it was hot and they were traveling long distances and they obviously didn't have anything like a car to transport them in. And so they had to find a way to literally preserve the bodies. And that's how embalmment started. And then from there, it just took off because it was something that allowed like for the family to be present with the body in a way that didn't show its decomposition that wasn't like so offensive quote unquote like to the people interacting with it and it made it more palatable and that's where we are with it it's crazy Mm -hmm. like that's crazy to me yeah constantly finding new ways to protect ourselves from nature right yeah humans humans all right let's back up you're ridiculous all right but i want to back up and talk about how did you get back into your route Mm, that's a really good question that's a great question um I feel like I attacked this from multiple different angles. And a lot of this is because that's the person I am. I like want to do all of the things possible. If I'm like, this is an issue that I want to work on. How many possible ways can I come at this and see how I can take care of it? So I feel like the most important thing that I did was literally just connecting with the ground, like going on walks. And while I'm doing so consciously, thinking about my feet touching the ground and also participating in the energy exchange that's already happening um, in that space. So sometimes that looked like, I don't know, sitting on the grass and like thinking about the things that I wanted to release or even just allowing like the things that I was feeling anxious or stressed about for my day-to-day life to literally like visualizing it, leaving my body through my feet and going into the earth and like experiencing that transmutation of energy because the earth is always there to hold us in that space. Um, I started like a weekly afternoon date with myself where I would take myself to the park and just spend time grounding there for a couple of hours. Uh, each week I would also, I had a Canyon that was really close to me. So I would drive up into the Canyon and just spend some time by myself being completely surrounded by nature, turning my phone off and really connecting to the sounds and to everything that I saw in nature and like watching the squirrels around me and like watching how they have an ecosystem and they know the things that they're doing and they're like participating with one another in this, but it's not something they have to talk about. It's something that they just do inherently that really connected me to this idea that like, we are equally a part of that. Like we have that capacity and can engage in that way with life and with nature just as um, easily and effortlessly as literally the squirrels are in their own ecosystems. But we've become so detached from that idea and from the ways that we can participate in that. Um, Let's see. Also, well, meditating was really helpful for me at that point. I started focusing on doing much more grounding meditation. So like specifically connecting to my root, doing grounding meditations where I would send out a cord down my, like down from my um, root into the ground and focusing on doing meditations of pulling up earth energy, um, journaling a lot. Like I would do a ton of journal questions and things like that around my root chakra and connecting my conscious brain to traumas that I had experienced or traumas that my family members had experienced that had passed down to me in the root chakra. Like a lot of my familial trauma is located in the root and sacral. And so that was a ton of work that I had to do even just to like literally get through that um, and to connect to those areas. There was so much work that had to be done just to recognize what was being blocked there, to recognize my connection to it and to realize I was carrying stuff that wasn't mine and to be able to let that go. Um, 
this was around the time that I also started receiving Reiki pretty regularly. So like I would have my Reiki practitioners really focus on that area for me and clearing things out. So it was something that, yeah, like I definitely came out from a lot of different angles and there's a lot of ways you can ground and connect to this, um, to the center and your body. I also like would do a lot of grounding with food, like eating potatoes or sweet potatoes or beans or lentils or things that just were more grounding to my body. Um, in Ayurveda, I'm heavy Vata. I'm like so air and creative and like up here naturally. So like doing anything to get me grounded in my body is really important. And food was a really big one for me for sure. And it still is. It's still like one of my go-to things if I'm feeling really chaotic or ungrounded outside of like, okay, literally stop what you're doing, do a quick grounding meditation and being in nature, like eating grounding foods is my top thing to do for myself when I'm realizing I'm really in need of some grounding. So how do you identify grounding foods? Is just root vegetables? Well, how do beans and lentils come in there? Not necessarily. So it's usually more proteins and, um, like complex carbs that are like root chakra, more grounding related things. And, you can look into this from a couple different aspects. Like you could really go into the chakra system itself and do some research around root chakra related foods. It will literally tell you like proteins and carbs. Um, so meat is also super grounding at this time. I was a vegetarian, so I was not eating meat, but I've been eating meat for about the last two years. And it's incredibly grounding for my body to just have a few bites of red meat. Um, but then also like, I think about this a lot in terms of Ayurveda and what it is to bring that grounding energy, which is the kapha energy into your body. So in Ayurveda, there are three different, they're called doshas. They're like the main functions and um, ways of being. And usually people are heavily one or two. Some people have the three of them mixed, um, but that's not super common. So you want to eat foods that either pacify or amplify certain energies based off of where your natural energy is. And this is one of the ways that we can bring equilibrium to our energy systems and to our bodies. And so eating foods that are more kapha are going to be the grounding foods. So that is like root vegetables, um, like some fats, protein. So that's how the beans and lentils and like legumes come into play there. Um, really like low key spices, like not heavy spice spice, but I think about like, I don't know, oregano and basil and herbs and stuff like that are also really grounding and a really nice thing to add into foods that you're eating, um, to bring greater grounding and stability also at pretty much any vegetable cooked is going to be much more grounding and kapha oriented. So versus like raw vegetables and eating like a salad is incredibly amplifying of vata air energy versus like eating a bowl of steamed vegetables is going to be much more grounding to your system. So just little things like that where you can notice, okay, maybe I'm feeling like really all over the place today. I'm not going to have my smoothie today because that's going to amplify that energy within me. Instead, I'm going to have like this soup, or I'm going to have a baked potato, or I'm going to like eat some of this meat and these steamed vegetables. This is reminding me years ago, I was like, we need to talk about the doshas on the human, on the find your awesome podcast. And it it never happened. So we're doing it right now. While we're on this little tangent, uh, what about, I mean, I'm super Vata as well. But what about, and so is my husband, what about the other types? The other type is Pitta and Pitta is fire energy. So this is like really active energy. I feel like you're a Vata Pitta combo for sure. Um, 
my boyfriend is too, and he's also a man manifesting generator. So like, I feel like there's a sense. lot of commonality yeah. between those energies. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Cause there's that action piece, but then also like the reception ideas and Pitta as the fire energy is like really outgoing kind of extra. So if it's out of balance, you can be feeling that sense of like, I have all of this physical energy that I need to exert and get out. Maybe the way that you're doing that feels, um, not organized or directed, but it kind of feels loose and scattered. Maybe you just feel like an overwhelming sense of abundant energy in your body. And that's not really comfortable. Um, so to pacify Pitta, well, Pitta foods typically are like spicier foods, pungent foods, um, things. If you are heavy Pitta, you probably really love those things. Like you probably really love the heavier spice and stuff like that. So <laughs> you're like, absolutely not. Like, <laughs> let me was... tell you about the relationship of <laughs> this household and spicy things. Hell no. <laughs> we so are funny. both so what about, like, about it. What about more like astringent foods though? Things that are maybe a little bit more vinegary or like pickled stuff like that. Do you guys like that? Um, I don't do, I, I remember the day I finally said this out loud. I liked pickled cucumbers and no other pickled things. This came from accidentally making myself pickled cabbage like every day. And I was like, wait a second, that's what I'm doing. And I don't like it. Um, vinegar, so vinegar and like lemon juice, lime juice. We're big, we're big fans of stuff like that. For sure. So all of that is astringent and under pitta. Onions and garlic also fall under pitta because they have that pungency to them. Um, I'm sure I'm forgetting about some right now. I mean, I, I have a holistic nutrition degree, but I only took one class in Ayurveda and it's been a few years. So like things are definitely escaping me around the specific foods. But yeah, if you're heavy, heavy pitta, that means that you would probably want to balance that with um kapha to bring down that energy to ground it to like give it some clarity and calm and rest and then some vata might also be something that you might want to bring into a pitta imbalance as well again this really, really gets specific based off of the person and like their specific dosha makeup and stuff like that but you can kind of just take that idea generally of like there are certain groups of foods that are more mentally energizing or active. So the Vata foods are typically the raw foods. Salads and smoothies are like the classic example for Vata foods. And I laughed so hard and I found that out because at the time that was like literally the only thing that I ate. And everyone was like, yeah, stop. And I couldn't imagine that. I was like, but these things give me energy. Like these things make me feel so good. And they're like, you're unbalanced. <laughs> you need some grounding. Um, and yeah, if you're a super heavy kapha, then that's when you would want to bring in like those vata heightening things to bring in the raw foods, to bring in the energy from your food versus bringing in grounding from your food. But just realizing that you can literally connect to your energy and shift your energy based off of the foods you're intaking, I think is huge. And I think we also forget about how impactful that is on our entire systems, even our energetic bodies when we're eating. Oh, absolutely. I'm curious from a dosha perspective, like, so vatas are tend to be like super airy and have more energy, like in the upper chakras. Yeah. Grounding is super important for them. What about someone who is kapha? Would they, what do they need? And what does the pitta person need? 
So the heavy kapha person is going to be really intense with earth energy. Usually if someone's heavy kapha and they're out of balance, like the themes of this are around laziness and like being indulgent and um, just generally like a lack of activity and energy. And so that is something that you want to stimulate vivato with. So that's bringing in the more raw foods, um, fruits, vegetables, berries, things that will like help give you more energy. Something to think about too, in terms of raw versus cooked food is that if a food is raw, it literally contains all of the, it's, it's energy. It also, if it's a fruit or vegetable is going to be hydrating to your system. Whereas if a food is cooked, it will take literally hydration and water from your body in order to just process the food. So it automatically is taking more from your body in order to just break it down and process that. That's not necessarily a bad thing. Like that's not a negative thing to be eating cooked foods. Um, but it's something to think about. Like if you're a person who is heavy kapha and you have a harder time getting your energy going, you're a little bit more slower going in the morning. You like have three cups of coffee to wake up, including more hydrating raw foods is going to really help your system. Um, I think especially fruits in the morning is so helpful for somebody who's kapha because fruit is the easiest thing for our bodies to digest and break down. It's the most simple form of energy that we can get from food in general. Um, and it, it helps stimulate that vata and it gives you different resources of energy that doesn't take a lot of energy in terms of processing the food for your body to break down. Um, whereas someone who's pitta, pitta is interesting because the pacification for this can go in a couple different directions. It depends on what you're trying to stimulate within a pitta person. If a person is really pitta and vata, you're absolutely wanting to stimulate the kapha and the earth. But if a person is really pitta and kapha, you might want to, um, pacify the pitta and up the, the, did I say that right? If they're pitta and kapha, you want to pacify the pitta and up the vata. So like upping that air energy. Um, yeah. Did that answer your question? Yeah. And I have another piece of it. Yeah. Um, so someone who's vata wants to get into their root chakra Does someone who's pitta or kapha want to get up into their crown chakra. Not necessarily. We still want to really like maintain this connection to grounding and to the root chakra. That's equally important for everyone across the board, but knowing what elements you're more prone to will kind of help you get there. So knowing that I'm much more Vata, that I'm super airy is helpful for me because I know that I need to bring in different elements in order to ground myself. And it also means that I have to practice that like every single day, whereas somebody who is pretty heavy kapha might not need to consciously practicing, practice the grounding as much every day. Like they're more naturally in that space. It doesn't mean there's not work to be done. It doesn't mean that there aren't still things there to support and to work through. But like, whereas I might be eating more grounding foods during the day, in addition to other other grounding connections and exercises, someone who is really heavily kapha might not need to do that. They might need to work more on stimulating the um, flow of air and the flow of energy within their bodies in general um, versus somebody who is really heavy fire or who is really water. So Ayurveda doesn't recognize water as one of the doshas, but this really connects back to astrology for me naturally, because we have all four elements represented within astrology. And when you're looking at a birth chart, you can see literally the elemental breakdown of someone and how it is that they connect to those energies. So if somebody has like 60% of their chart in earth signs, 40% of it in air signs, 
okay, what's missing is the water and the fire. So these are the elements that you're probably going to need to be stimulating more because they don't come as naturally to you. It doesn't mean you shouldn't be engaging with them. And it doesn't mean that it's hard to engage with them necessarily. It just means that's something that you need to bring in more of because it's not the way your energy naturally wants to function or naturally does function. Um, and that really brings us into a nice well-rounded space when we're able to do that, because we have to remember, um, I'm sorry that I'm like, connecting Ayurveda and astrology in this way. I hope that it makes sense, but we have to remember that we have all 12 of the signs within our charts. So we have all of the, all of the signs, all of the elements within us, but depending on where your planets and your placements are laid out, you're just going to have a proclivity to engaging with certain ones more. Um, so because I'm so heavy air, I have my sun, moon, Mercury, and Venus all in air signs. I'm so heavy Vata, like you can see that connection right away. Um, and it shows me that I need to do more in order to activate the earth in my chart to come back to that state of grounding and then also activate um, the water in my chart because I have almost no water in my chart. So bringing in just work with those different elements. These are also all ways that we ground. Whenever we connect to elements of nature, that is a way to ground and a way to practice that connection to nature and a really cool way to do it too. Um, I feel like I just word salad it, but it was a beautiful salad. It was delicious. I loved it. Mm, good. <laughs> I was, I, as you were talking, I was just playing, I'm just glancing at your human design chart. And even though you're a reflector, so you don't have any defined centers, all of your centers are open. You have a lot of energy in your sacral center. So it's just playing with like how that would fall in terms of everything else. Other than that, what your energy know? is fairly well balanced between all That's the centers. really interesting though. What like sticks out to you about that sacral area? Um, mm, let me feel into that. Well, I think it just accounts for the juiciness of your energy. Like, cute. I mean, I was gonna say you're not like other reflectors. No reflector is like any other reflector, yeah. and that's what's so brilliant and beautiful and magical about you guys. And there's something like, yeah, I don't have any other word other than juicy. Mm. You're juicy. I like that. Thank you. In a good I'll way. In a really good way. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> I love it. Um. Yeah. And you, I mean, you've got three, three gates in your emotional center. So I was thinking about that with water and mm. I don't know do you, if that works. Do you see like a connection to the different elements through the different centers in human design? Or do you feel like there's much of a connection in human design to the different elements? Oh, that's what I was pondering. I don't know. I haven't thought that much about it, but I am curious. That's interesting. I am yeah. too. Yeah. Cause I mean, there is again, every gate is in a different planet or a sun or moon. Um, yeah, but otherwise I'm going to have to dig into that deeper. I'm curious. I like that. I'm curious too. Yeah. I'll report back. That'll be a future episode that we can do. Yes. So what are your daily grounding practices? Mm, that's a great question. This looks different for me every day, but every <laughs> of morning, it of, of course, course, of it, course does. it does. My answer to everything is that's always different for me. <laughs> um, but every day I do some kind of grounding meditation in the morning. So usually I will like 
get up, make a cup of coffee while my French press is steeping. I will um, do like my little alter things. I will freshen things up. I'll like refill the water cup or I'll light a candle. Um, and then I will connect to my ancestors and connect to my guides. And I will also do like a grounding meditation for myself in that. So usually it looks like it's pretty simple. And I mean, this is what I also like telling people about grounding is that you can literally do it anywhere and it can be as fast as 30 seconds. Like spend 30 seconds in your car before you get out somewhere and do a quick grounding exercise. If you're feeling really overwhelmed at work, go to the bathroom and do a grounding meditation for 60 seconds. You're going to feel so much better. I used to, this was my customer service trick when I was a barista. Um, but just visualizing a cord leaving my root and going down into the earth really deep, 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 deep. And then from there, this is where it really looks different each day. Some days I do an exercise where I consciously pull up earth energy and feel it filling each of my chakras one by one and then spilling out over my crown and onto me. That's like what I do when I'm feeling like I need a lot of grounding. Um, typically I just connect and then I if I have anything that I want to release, I specify that and I ask for the transmutation and I thank the earth for her support and gifts and providing that. Sometimes I'll just connect and that's it. And that's all I need to do. This is also something I do before literally any session, before I tune in to give any Reiki, I am always grounding first. Um, and that's also something that my Reiki masters like completely drilled into me. It was like, never, never start giving someone Reiki or give yourself Reiki before grounding yourself. Like you are asking for trouble by opening your crown up, by bringing in all of this energy and not giving your body a stable foundation with which to be a channel for it. This is also what really helps increase our ability to energetically hold and what our energetic capacity even looks like is this sense of grounding. What are you holding on to in your space that you do not need to? anymore and how can the earth literally support you in that um and then yeah i don't every day like get to a park or get to literally sit on the dirt but i'm super fortunate to live on a property that in my area has a lot more nature than most other houses like even in my neighborhood so i'm really grateful for that i'll just go outside i take breaks regularly to like literally just go sit outside for 10 minutes and breathe feel the sun on my skin feel the dirt beneath my feet i'm also very much like a no shoe person i'll just walk around the property barefoot because that feels so good to me and like i want to literally feel the dirt on my feet um and the ground underneath it and like experience that connection all of those things are so helpful for me if I have the time and space, I love to like go spend an hour at the park. I'll take my dog. I'll take a yoga mat. I will like stretch or practice yoga or just lie there or write in my journal, but just doing that to connect to the outside world and to connect to the ground and to get my head, my conscious brain out of the mode of like, I need to be doing, I need to be getting things done. What's next on my list? Like, what am I taking care of right now to just give myself literal space is so important. Um, and when I am fortunate enough to have free weekends, to be able to drive an hour and go into the forest and just walk around or spend some time or, um, or even just literally like pull the car over and feel it seeping over me and like feel the energy of the trees feeding into me and supporting me is so insanely helpful. Um, yeah, probably not something that one can like do every day, but it's something that I think we all have pretty easy access to in some way or another. Yeah, it's something in Maine we did every day, or I did every day. 
And when you just mentioned pulling over and like letting the forest wash over you, I felt that. So thank you for that. Mm, you're welcome. That was I delicious. Um, okay. So you, what you've been talking about, so you're not made for consistency and you're a reflector. And so like every day is brand new and yet you've got uh, one of the gifts that I have as well, which is ritual. It's you, your body has its own rhythms. It's very own unique rhythms and yeah. no other person can tell it. Not, no matter how much of an expert that person is, can somebody tell it like how it's supposed to do things? It's so true. That's so true. I feel like everybody has that to some degree. No, like we're all bio individuals in some way. There's something unique about the way that we process. Um, but I really feel that like my partner is very heavy fire and earth, very heavy fire, but he has a Virgo rising and a Virgo moon, like really on it about health things and wanting to support other people with health things. So he's often like, Hey, Caitlin, I like, see that you're working and doing this in this way. And I think that it might be really helpful for you. Like the thing that he constantly says to me, and it's, <laughs> I love him so much. He's always like, I think it'd be really helpful for you to like get your energy really moving in the morning and to like go for a run or to like go leave and do something in the morning. I think that's going to be really helpful. And I'm like, oh, recently I just got curious because he's shared this with me like four times. I'm, I'm not a runner. Like I do not enjoy it. It literally makes me want to kill myself. I also have asthma. So like, I don't even feel like I'm getting a workout in and my body can't get oxygen to my legs. And I'm like falling on the sidewalk in my neighborhood, you know? So I'm like, babe, why do you, I'm just curious. Like, why do you think that this in particular is going to be so helpful for me? And what is it that you think really needs a support with that? And he's like, well, I feel so much better and clearer in my day when I start like that. And I just think that, you know, you like get up and work from home. Like it'd probably just be really good for you to get your energy out, to get outside, to like get your mind out of the four walls for a minute. And I'm like, you're absolutely right. But the way that I need to do that looks so different for me. Like if I started my day off going for a run, I would not have the same rest of the day that you're having. And I would not feel good in the way that you do. I would have to spend time recovering and literally just trying to get oxygen to my limbs. Whereas instead I can like practice yoga and do something that's still going to be movement oriented. And I can go outside and be outside of my four walls here and still have that time in nature, that like space away, that mental break and vacation and as a way to start my day. And that feels so much better to me. Yeah. Yes. And yeah, you're right. We all do have, we are all individuals. And those of us with this gift are like, like I read this book once it was a gift it was all about the appropriate time, like the best times to do things, mm. like the best time to work out, the best time to eat, the best time to sleep, all of this. You're like, for who? I know. I was like, no, 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 no. I've been struggling with lunch my whole life. Like this whole eat oh. at noon thing. Like my body is like, no, no. I don't know what lunch is. I don't get lunch. I don't get lunch either. No, no. Because when I was... I was working at as a barista and managing a coffee shop for like three years. And I would wake up every day at like four. By the time noon came around, I would have already had had two meals. But when yeah. I'm working from home, I'm like sometimes hungry for us, like some fruit around 10. And then maybe I'll want a meal at like two. I don't get lunch. That was not made for us. Yeah, <laughs> me too. I'm all about like, yes, yeah, something at 10, something at three. But 
that noon yeah. that is just inconvenient that is I don't want to eat and it gets in the way of things amen um so let's talk more about ritual though the importance of ritual yes for for humans let's do it I love that ritual is something that I care so much about and that's so interesting hearing that I have the gate of ritual that makes total sense and I'm really curious about it um but let's talk about ritual. What way do you want to go with this? Whatever way lights you up. Like, can we bring it into grounding? We don't need to bring it into grounding, but just simply, why is it important? Mm-hmm. Ritual is important for so many reasons. Okay. Ritual is really important at so many different levels of the human body. One ritual is so important for our literal brains because it helps develop new neural pathways that teach our brains a new way of doing things. So it helps develop a pathway in our minds that connect us to something. So maybe your ritual in the morning is to, um, or actually let's go this way. Maybe your ritual in the evening is to brush your teeth, to wash your face, to get into bed and to read a chapter of your book. If you do this every day for a while, or if you do this consistently, you're literally rewiring your brain and, and, your brain develops a pathway of learning where it recognizes once you start doing these things, it's going to start winding down. It will literally release different hormones in your system. It's going to start producing and releasing more melatonin and the things that help slow your body down and bring you into a state of resting and sleep automatically because it anticipates that that's what you're going to do. So ritual is so helpful from just the standpoint of like what it's doing in our brains and how that's interacting with our physiology to actually create new responses for us and to develop um, sometimes habitual ways of doing things, but just a process through which things are done that our body likes to learn to anticipate. But ritual is also so juicy. (laughs) I really love that word for it because there's so much available in ritual. We can do ritual that's going to connect us with the greater cycles of nature. And that can be so symbolic and overall so supportive for helping see ourselves cyclical beings, which can then help us release so much judgment for ourselves, so much judgment for the place we are in life, for the way things are, for whatever that's currently happening. We have so much more compassion and we can see ourselves as cyclical beings. And when we see ourselves reflected in nature in that way. It also can help us just connect with nature in general. You can use ritual to connect with so many different kinds of things. You can use ritual with, I don't know, tarot, and this can help you develop a connection to different archetypal energies that are at play within you. And then from there, you can use that to consciously transform your experience of yourself or consciously transform an aspect of your life. Um, We can use ritual in really creative ways that help tune us back into our creativity and to into our creative nature. Like it makes me think about Um, I think about the artist way and Julia Cameron, who wrote it, developed this ritual, which is the morning pages where every morning during this program for 12 weeks, you write literally three full pages of just stream of consciousness. You're just getting out whatever is in your brain, whether that's a list, whether that's a story, whether that's something that's fragmented and literally when it makes sense to someone reading it, it's just the act of literally getting it out that helps open up so much space. And that in and of itself is a ritual. That's a ritual of clearing and of, um, Um, connecting to your, to your, to your creativity, connecting to your own self in terms of connecting to your emotions and what's actually happening within you and to all of these things going on underneath the surface. Um, 
I think about ritual too, from an astrological perspective, because ritual is contained mostly in the third house and in the ninth house, these houses are opposite one another. And, um, they have some similar, but also of course, opposite significations. So the third house has to do with our early education. This has to do with our siblings, and our family members and our neighborhoods, the communities that are immediately around us. Like when you go work at a coffee shop, the people who are also working at the coffee shop are a third house thing. Um, this is also the house of the goddess and this is the house of day-to-day ritual that we do to just participate in an understanding and reverence of our energy and the way in which we exchange energy in all this all of the environments that we're in so a ritual for the third house would look like lighting a candle on your altar every day as you're in the middle of your morning routine and like saying a little prayer a third house ritual would also look like um every day doing certain, I don't know, stretches and taking care of your body and spending 10 minutes just tuning into your body, noticing how it's feeling that day, and then tuning into those pieces and caring for them in some way. Whereas the ninth house is much more symbolic of a higher education, our larger worldview and philosophical belief systems, um, academia, also really long-term abroad travel, foreign travel is within the ninth house, whereas the third house is like smaller, more local travel and transportation. So ninth house ritual is much more, um, I want to use the word like deterministic. It's like much more prescribed, predetermined. I think of ninth house ritual as like, I'm literally holding like a Celtic book of magic as I'm like working through a ritual that I'm doing. Right. It's like something that is structured. I'm like serving the purpose and ritual in some way. There's like a target that I'm aiming for. It's not just like the day-to-day ritual of caring for myself or my environment or for my energy in which the third house would be. Mm, That's so interesting. And you almost described my whole morning routine to a T with the third house ritual. <laughs> I go outside, toes in the grass, greet the day. Yes. To Mama Earth, the universe, Father Sky. Um, thank everyone for the day. A sail prayer, come inside, meditate. I do a bunch of activation exercises and then I start my day. I love that so much. That is such a beautiful example of how simple, but how powerful ritual is. How has like your relationship to, um, to everything shifted since you had that as your ritual? Like, do you, do you feel a difference since you've been practicing that ritual every day? Yeah. So I've done that ritual every day since we bought this house. So that's mm, four years, four years, I think before that, I just didn't put my toes in the grass. So yeah, the meditation and the activation exercises have been going on for like five or six years. Mm-hmm. I yeah. can't, I can't not do it. <laughs> it's a non-negotiable. I've done it before races. So I've gotten up at like 3 AM to do it. It's yeah. not even a question. Okay. Yeah. What time do I have to get? And it takes me an hour and a half often to do it all. And it's just part of the routine. I love that. That's commitment. And that's also understanding like at this point in your practice, you know, the feeling of when you start your day in this way and when you don't, and when you develop a ritual like this, and when you practice the ritual for that long, there is so much 
juiciness available that comes to you just by nature of being consistent in that and showing up in that way, whether that is saying a prayer or something devotional or just checking with your body and like doing the meditations and doing those exercises. Absolutely. Yeah. And note for anyone listening, I am built for consistency. So don't go thinking that you need to do it my way, unless you're also built for consistency in which come on, come on and join the club, but not with me. Do it. We'll do it together separately (laughs) because my morning routine is my time. Absolutely. How do you connect to ritual with others? Is there anything like in, like, are there any gates or anything in the human design chart that specifies that in any way? Well, yes. That's interesting. I love it. I love it when I get that answer and then I'm like, huh, but what is it? Um, huh. I think it would show up and I'm thinking this through for the first time right now. I'm told that's false as well. I'm thinking gate 37 in okay. the solar plexus. Neither of us have that. Mm-hmm. You and I both have the gate across from it. So we reach towards it, but it's a gate of community, of creating community, of creating the tribe and serving the tribe. Mm-hmm. I feel like there, that's and there's a few cool. others like, you actually have the gift of knowing what other people need. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, I feel that. So that's, that's another place it could show up. That's really interesting. I like thinking about a ritual from, from that space and looking at the charts like that to determine what's one's relationship to it. Like, because you think the consistency piece is so huge. Like if I tried to have a morning ritual that looked anything like yours, I wouldn't be able to make it more than two days in something like that. Like I just wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to do that. Um, And it wouldn't feel good to me. And I think that's such a big piece of ritual is that it doesn't need to look exactly the same. Um, And it can really adjust to whatever, whatever is in your space and whatever you're trying to connect with and however um that wants to come through for you the word ritual and i i do want to look up like the actual meaning and origin of it but for me yes please um it's like all about sacred it's an individual like your energy is sacred habit those words rearrange to make them make sense please Oh, I, I definitely agree. I was actually thinking about this earlier this week because I've started thinking about my yoga practice as a devotional practice versus anything else. And I feel that I'm much more motivated to like go to class and to get on my mat every day when I'm thinking about it from that standpoint, because that's so much more motivating to me just to think about like, what does this look like as an actual devotional practice for my body and my spirit and my energy? Um, and how is me physically showing up to this space, just connecting to that in some way and magnifying that energy by nature of actively participating in it. And I feel like ritual does that, um, and gives that to us. So ritual, ritual comes from a Latin word naturally, um, which just meant right, basically like a right R I T E. Um, and the definition of it says a prescribed order of performing a ceremony, especially characteristic of a particular religion or church. Um, 
which is interesting that the definitions of ritual literally all say something about being a religious or it says solemn ceremony. Oh, interesting. I don't think it carries that meaning anymore for most of us. I very (laughs) much agree. The etymology of it really just means like pertaining to or consisting of a right or rights, R-I-T-E again. Right. So just having a manner in which you are specifically doing certain things. Interesting. So anything can really be a ritual. Yeah. Ritual could also be a habit. Absolutely. Yeah. Whatever word you, whatever word works for you. Hmm. I love it. That's solemnness. And maybe I just think of the word solemn as kind of a downer. I do too. I mean, I don't love that. And I don't, I don't think of ritual as being something solemn. I think of it as being something to have reverence for Mm -hmm. and to take seriously in that way, but it's also not something that you need to like take so seriously. Right. Ritual can be whatever you want it to be. And it doesn't have to be something that brings you into a place of like really solemn contemplation. Like that makes me think of the idea that like, in order to meditate, you have to like be in a cave somewhere, go to a monastery, not talk to people. No. Yeah. I just realized I think of ritual as Things are different after the ritual than they were before. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And it might just be a teeny tiny energy shift, like one degree of energy shift. Yeah. But still you're, you're doing something that entices change. Yeah. I love that. Kelsey, what's your Enneagram? Seven. Oh, I knew it. I am too. <laughs> what's yours? You're a seven, I'm two, a seven you? two. I knew it the second you said, I don't like solemn. I was like, no, no, no. <laughs> No, I don't. That doesn't surprise me. I love being a seven. I I do too. What's well, really I don't resonate with any of the other Enneagram types at all. Um, and I'm I'm kind of like wishy-washy on the Enneagram because I feel like sometimes it describes a lot of wounding. Yeah. People can identify with that. But I heard an interview with one of the creators of it or people that was she was there at the beginning and she was like, it was never supposed to be used this way. It was never supposed to be a way for people to self-identify. It was supposed to be a way for people to see what they need to work on. That's super interesting. And I think when you look at it like that, there's a lot to be gained from it, but I've also always been really on the fence about the Enneagram for the same reason. I feel like it gives, yeah, it gives like a way for people to really attach to woundedness and to the pieces of themselves that are being asked for healing. Um, and that have manifested due to trauma. And it's not that that's not super helpful to understand that and understand how that processing happens. Um, And I mean, speaking from my own experience, like when I found out I was a seven, my sister's super into the Enneagram. So she like had me take the test. I was like, I don't, how am I supposed to be one of seven or one of 10, nine, nine times. Yeah. And she's like, no, no, no. It's like so much more nuanced. Think about how people talk about astrology. And I'm like, okay, I'll give it a (laughs) shot. So I found out that I was a seven and then I, she's like, yeah, you know, so like all of this trauma and childhood, like you basically just want to avoid it and like run away from pain and like run away from all these things. And my natural inclination when I experience pain is to not focus on it, but it doesn't mean I'm not acknowledging that it's there. It's just that that doesn't change things for me. I'm like, yes, that exists, 
that's not going to mean I can't be joyful in some capacity. I can't still enjoy these things or I can't be exhuberant in this particular way just because there is also this pain that's here. Yes, I will carry that too. And it doesn't need to literally be like an umbrella that's shading you constantly. Exactly. And I don't need to wallow in it. Yes. That's not going to serve me. Um, but the seven absolutely is not about spiritual bypassing. We still feel things. Exactly. It's just recognizing that like one, there's an appropriate time and place to process those things. And two, regardless of what is there, it never means that you cannot find joy in life. And I feel like as sevens, we have to move through periods of life where it feels like that, or it feels like for some reason, what is happening here is that the joy is being sucked out based off of this circumstance. For me, I remember like seeing my, maybe like my family engage in some kind of way where like the joy was taken away because of something we were going through. And it's just this feeling of like, well, how can there be this when this also exists? And I think this is such a gift of the human experience. Like we are here to experience the bind, like the binary of emotions and also all of the things that are in between. We cannot have the joy and the lightness without also recognizing the grief and the darkness. Um, but I don't need to only look at the grief and the darkness because then I'm forgetting about the light. Exactly. And I say, I'm here to remind people of their light. I'm here to play in the light. And I believe you are too, to bring yeah. people back into the light. It's not yeah. like if they're in the dark, I'm not going to go there. Like I'll, I'll go and find you there and pull you forward. Absolutely. And the dark is an important place to be. I've been in the dark yeah. before and like you have to move through that period and learn how to navigate and walk out of it and find the resources and the support that will support you in doing that. But it becomes really dangerous when we just stay there. Yeah. Oh my God. Amen to everything you're saying. Mm. And I think that the description of sevens was not written by a seven. Absolutely. (laughs) It was written by someone who was like, I do not understand these people. (laughs) I don't understand these people. (laughs) They seem to not care about anything. They're like very aloof. (laughs) Yes. Yes. We... I, I know we could keep going, but we got to cut this, cut this off again. Oh my gosh. Um, and you're coming back. We know that Caitlin Garing regular on the find your awesome podcast. So how yeah. can people find you? And the cosmic drip is now it's a thing. So tell us about that, please. Yes. I'm so excited about the cosmic drip. I mean, it's been full of literally like every Mercury retrograde potential problem, but I also launched in the middle of Mercury retrograde. and knew that this is going to have to be the case. So it's been really fun. Um, really fun. And Yeah. Well, let's see. I am on Apple podcasts and Spotify with the cosmic drip. I have a Libra season medicine episode out. So it details all of what's going on in Libra season and how you can really connect to and utilize that energy to benefit yourself and the goals that you have in this season. And, um, as a beginning of quarter four and of this last, uh, cycle that we move through in the year. Um, I have another episode dropping either today or tomorrow. So you can look out for that, which will be exciting. It'll also be like around grounding, which is really what sparked a lot of the excitement for this conversation. Um, 
Let's see. Other than that, I am at Kate Gare, C-A-I-T-G-O-E-H-R on Instagram and Twitter. I think I'm going to take a break from social medias pretty soon. So you can absolutely connect with me there, but I might be a little absent there. And the best place to connect with me is definitely my email list. I will pop into your inbox like every other week or every week. I'm not in there super often, but I'll always just send like little collective readings and reflections and um, some treats for the people on my email list. So that has ended up being like my favorite way to connect with people lately. Um, Yeah. Mm, And I think before our last episode, I just showered so much love on your email list, but I'm going to do it again right now. Caitlin's emails are so good. So really, truly get yourself on that list. Thank you so much, Kelsey. You're welcome. Thank you for this. Thank you for everything. I love you. Thanks for coming into my life. Oh, thank you. I love you. I'm, I'm so grateful that we were connected. Absolutely. Thank you so much for listening. Remember, you can connect with Caitlin through her website of the stars.love. You can connect to me with me, whichever preposition you want to use there. Connect with me at my website, KelseyAbbott.com. And if you loved this episode, please share it with all your people. Share it on social media, share it in email, share it in text, share it in person somehow whatever feels good to you. And if you are so inspired, please go leave a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much. Now go have a wonderful, magical, miraculous day and go forth and be awesome. I love you.